You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. It's Weird Islanders, the podcast, back again. My name is Dan. Uh, Mike won't be with us tonight, but we have another great guest and another great subject. Our guest tonight covered the American Hockey League between 1987 and 1996, including the subject of tonight's very special episode and two other teams at the same damn time, which led to a James Ellery Award for Journalism in 1991. Please welcome Bob Dittmeyer. Bob, how are you? Oh, very good, Dan. It's uh, good to talk to you again. It's been quite a while. Yes, it has been quite a while. Uh, you and I have corresponded uh, over the years. Uh, I love your your insight uh, into the Islanders as a journalist and as a, a fan. Um, before we get into, again, the subject of tonight's Weird Islanders, um, you were like an original Islanders fan going back to 72, right? And you had some some really unique experiences with the team <laughs> back then that uh, I don't think could have happened today. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, it was in 1972 when they when they entered the league, and actually when they entered the league, I was nine years old when they played their first game. I was ten, <laughs> and I grew up in Farmingdale, which uh, for anybody who's not from Long Island is on Long Island, <laughs> and it's very close to where the Islanders originally practiced for many years. A place called Racket and Rink. Uh, it was originally opened up in an airplane hangar at Republic Airport. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, one or two rinks and also tennis courts. Mm. The tennis courts never happened. So they, they <laughs> ended up uh, filling over the tennis courts with another ice rink. Um, and I used to skate there when I was a teenager, when I was in high school. Um, but uh, I used to ride my bike up there. It was about a mile from my home. And um, I was ecstatic when you know, when I heard that the Islanders were coming into the league uh, and that they were going to practice right off the street from me. So I'd go there once in a while and, you know, Watch practice or whatever, um, but uh, I was in high school. I guess I was a sophomore in high school, so that would be like a, a few years later. You know, at the time I was a goaltender, and mm. my my favorite goaltender at the time was Chico Resch, who had ah. you know yet lost his job to Billy Smith, right. and so I went in to interview him, and uh, and Chico was uh, was really cool. He was a great guy. He sat me down in this very rudimentary trainer's room and, uh, you know, answered all my questions, including one about the, what I, what I thought about the Cleveland Barons merger with the, uh, with the oh, wow. Minnesota North stars or whatever it was at the time. Hmm. Um, but you know, very, very friendly. And, you know, I've never, I've never run into him since. That's, uh, and that's I've, unbelievable. I've, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I would like to because I would like right. to ask him if he remembered that. I'm sure he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, it was you know, 1977, probably. I um, have I have met Chico. He is indeed a very nice guy, and I would guarantee that he would 100% pick up that conversation from where you guys left off. 40 oh, years. really? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. you know, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't be surprised either. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, one of these days I'll run into him. Yeah. Uh, no, that's really, really cool. I mean, just kind of riding your bike casually up to the Islanders practice facility is kind of like a really cool thing that I know. Uh, yeah, you're really lucky to do. But uh, that is very cool. Um, you've also written some great fan posts for Lighthouse Hockey, which uh, if I remember, I will I will put into the uh, article for this episode. And uh, I love I love hearing that uh, that old stuff from like before my time, not only before my time, before I was born, but before, you know, before the dynasty and all that kind of stuff. But for tonight, uh, we are going to focus on a step below the Islanders, the minor league level, which uh, you have uh, a very great knowledge of from your years covering them. Uh, and so without any further ado, Bob Dittmeyer, will you please reveal the subject of tonight's very special episode of Weird Islanders, the podcast? Uh, the Capital District Islanders who played in the uh, American Hockey League from 1990 through uh, 1993. Uh, three seasons there, coached by Butch Goring. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. We'll get to oh, Butch. Yeah, we will get to Butch, yes. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, if you're an Islanders fan of a certain age, I'm, I'm 45 and I would think people, you know, a little bit older than me, a little bit younger than me will definitely remember the capital district Islanders being their farm team. And I, I know I can't have been the only kid, although I was not a kid at the time I was in high school as well, that wondered to himself, why is the Islanders minor league team in Washington, DC? Not that capital <laughs> district. It's the New York capital <laughs> district, Albany area, specifically Troy, which is only eight miles outside of, of Albany and the home of uh, RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And that's where the Capital District Islanders was set up. And like their genesis was extremely strange. And in fact, in a lot of ways, actually mirrored the strange genesis of their big club too. And 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 you were there for that too, right? Like you kind of saw how the team got there and all that. I stuff, was, right? and, and you know, as a Seinfeld fan, you will appreciate this. The capital district, <laughs> capital district Islanders were were created out of spite, just like the Islanders. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, for those who don't who don't know, you know, there was going to be a WHA team possibly going into Nassau Coliseum in 1972, and uh, now they got the NHL in there into the building, so you know they beat them to it. Uh, but um, yeah, the uh, the Nassau County, uh, Nassau County, the Albany County executive Jim Coyne decided to build uh, a major league arena in downtown Albany. Uh, the reason he did was because the CBA, Continental Basketball Association, had a very successful team there called the Albany Patroons, who played in uh, the Washington Avenue Armory, which was a very small place, like 3,500, but it was standing room only, so it was like 4,800 every night, every time they played for years. I mean, they had they had great coaches. Phil Jackson won his first championship there. I was going to say Phil Jackson. Uh, uh, saying, yeah. George Carl was there. Um, uh, Bill Musselman was there. Uh, and... He decided that they could they could support a major league team. Well, obviously they couldn't, but he built the build, he built the <laughs> building anyway. And so this um, crazy owner of Fort Wayne Comets, like I, I guess I can use that word to describe him since he's dead now, <laughs> David Welker, moved his team, his IHL team, out of Fort Wayne and put them in Nick Brock Arena in Albany, which alarmed the people running the AHL, especially the Detroit Red Wings, who owned the uh, Adirondack Red Wings, who played in Clens Falls, 48 miles and change, not 50 miles, <laughs> but 48 miles and change, which is a big difference, um, from Clens Falls, Clens Falls to Albany. And so they very, very quickly rushed to undermine the Albany team. And they bought uh, a defunct, not a defunct, an idle Bruins franchise. And moved to Detroit, and then talked Bill Torrey into moving his team from Springfield into Troy. They played at the RPI Fieldhouse, um, which was old even then. Um, <laughs> it was, and basically just started a team. You know, here, here we go. You know, it was like it happened like right. I don't know two months before the season started. Not even that much. So, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. You know, so you know, everybody was scrambling and trying to get this done. It was originally owned by a car a car dealership owner hmm. um, named, named Mike Cantonucci, who ended up not being able to afford it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened, and it it did it did its job in terms of undermining the Albany team, which was 
the owner there had had um, uh, sold the name to uh, a Price Chopper supermarket chain, so they were called the Choppers. Um, mm-hmm. And but he ran out of money, and he they folded on uh, Valentine's Day. And I was, I was, yeah, I was going to say before the end of the yes. season, they folded. Right? Uh, it was Valentine's yeah. Day. I was in the office with two other reporters and all of a sudden <laughs> a couple of big, big burly security guards came up to us and asked us to leave. And as soon as we walked out the door, they locked the door behind us. And then we went, we went wow. down around the back and we, we got into the building and we were talking to Dave Allison, who's the coach and the, bur- the burly security guards came back and found us and threw us out <laughs> again. So <laughs> so that's how they that's how the whole capital district dialogue just started uh was basically that's just crazy. To, you know knock out this team out of albany um right so and it hurt it hurt all it hurt the whole market i mean you know adirondack eventually couldn't couldn't compete uh you know when the devils went into albany um you know eventually yeah. couldn't compete and you know because they, they used to pack the joint i mean in Glens falls i mean on saturday night against rochester there'd be 5800 people there um you know wow you know a thousand of them standing um, but you know, they, wow. they've, they've, they've since moved on, but, uh, yeah, that's how it all started. Yeah. Cause it was funny. Cause you say that they did their job in getting rid of the Albany choppers, but capital district Islanders only lasted for three seasons yes. <laughs> before, uh, they, uh, they moved on and became the Albany river rats, which was the devil's farm team for, for many, many years. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny that they, that's how they came to into existence because they, like you said, like the Islanders basically were founded because oh, we don't want the WHA and Nassau Coliseum. It's too nice, and so they put a team where really nobody had ever heard of before. And you know, obviously there was another team just thirty miles away, right. but that's a story for another mm-hmm. time. But uh, but yeah, it's um uh it was uh, this is a fascinating story, and uh and the fact that it came together two months before the season is really crazy. Um and you know RPI is a big. Hockey spot. Uh, a lot of players have come from there. Guy Bear is always the number mm-hmm. one guy I think I go to. Uh, Joey Juno was another guy. Uh, yeah, Mike Mike Adessa was the coach. Um, I never covered uh, them. So and they and okay. they had been really good just before I got there. And uh, and one of their players, one old RPI player, is uh, the first guy I want to talk about. He's really the guy who kind of he was the first guy on my list from this, and this kind of like created this the idea to, to do an episode about the Capital District Islanders in, in total. But I want to start with one player in particular because he was from he went to RPI and signed with the Islanders, the big Islanders, as a free agent. And his name was Graham Townsend. And uh, he was the first black player to play for the Islanders. If everybody, I don't know if you may remember, there was a, a, a video last year, an interview he did with Shannon Hogan. Uh, that was really, really cool. I'll put the, the link in there as well for that. And uh, he was a, a, a pretty big player for the capital district islanders at the time uh he had uh seasons of uh well he had a, a 14 goal season the first year and then in the second year he scored 29 goals and had 50 points like he was a really darn good player and uh and was pretty important and again the fact that he went to rpi must have been kind of a big deal uh to have this sort of homegrown guy there uh by way of jamaica which is really cool a very interesting backstory for an nhl player um what were you what do you remember about Graham Townsend, uh, he must have been one of the, the biggest players. Well, there Graham did become a very good player, you know, at the American League level, you know, that second year that he was there. Um, you know, really big guy, uh, very intelligent guy. You know, I mean, you don't you don't get to go to RPI if you're not smart. Um, right. <laughs> and they had won. Did they did they win it? They didn't win a national championship. I don't remember when when he was at RPI, um, but I think got pretty close to it. I don't recall. To tell you the truth. Um, but <laughs> it, you know, it kind of had to be a little bit weird for him. I mean, here he had, he had, you know, gotten to the NHL, um, you know, had played games with the Bruins and whatnot. And, you know, he ends up with the Islanders and then he ends up back, back on his old campus, you know, you know, <laughs> I guess that's true. Mid, about you know, that. <laughs> mid, mid 20s, 26 years old, whatever. Um, you know, so I would imagine that must have been a little bit strange for him, but, yeah. uh, but he was a really good player for him. Um, unfortunately, he was a he was lightning rod for some things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate. You were you were saying before that there was an incident there that that was got really ugly, and uh, you know I, I wish I could say that times have changed, but unfortunately they have not. Uh, and it's a really really a shame that that Graham you know had to experience that. But uh, but these days he's uh, he's a hockey coach, a youth coach, and he's and he's trying to you know expand the reach of hockey. Um, he came up to the Islanders for a handful of games, uh, nine games in total over the course of two years. Yeah. 
And uh, he scored one goal for them. And I actually found video of that one goal uh, on a nice feed from Ray Ferraro. And he basically potted it into an empty net. And he was very excited. And then he walked right off the ice. And and Jiggs McDonald joked that he had just retired, which, of course, he did not because he also <laughs> played for the Ottawa Senators a year uh-huh. later. But yeah, no, he's he's kind of a fascinating story. Um, and uh, I mean, we he, you said he was a good guy. He was like a fun guy to to deal with as a, as a reporter, I guess. Well, yeah, at the I mean, time. He, like, you know, he, he, he like, was always. You know, I, I I don't like to attach these the, these words to people, you know, especially athletes. <laughs> um, but you know, well spoken. I mean, the guy had an education. You know, I mean, the, the guy went to RPI. I mean, you you've seen him on television and you know in interviews and whatnot. You know, he's a he's a very thoughtful person, and um, mm-hmm. so. Uh, you know, so he was a good guy to go to in the dressing room, you know, because you knew you knew you were going to get, you know, good answers. You know, maybe stood out a little bit different, you know, from some of the other players, you know, the jocks, you know, who, you know, Man. didn't have the education that, that Graham had. Um, yeah. But uh, but he was a good player, a really good player. Um, in fact, yeah. in fact, I will tell you one thing. Okay, there was something that actually happened that that turned out to be how the Albany River Rats ended up being. At Nickelback Arena, it was in. It was late in the season, and the Adirondack had uh, traded for a guy named Max Middendorf, um, who was from New Jersey, and just the name. Okay, just the name. He was a big guy. I feel like I've heard this name before. Big yeah. guy <laughs> couldn't skate, you know. <laughs> and Adirondack Capital District games were a pretty big deal. Um, and at one point in, in the game, this was in Troy, um, uh, who was it? Oh, it was Middendorf, yeah. Um, he turns around and he swings his hockey stick like a baseball bat and hits Graham Townsend in the face. Oof. And he was out quite a while. Broke his sinus cavity, the whole thing. He was, he was a mess. Stolen by McCoy, centers, penalty, and... Townsend and Middendorf, and now things are going to get really ugly. Hotman uh, takes a swing. One of the Islander players, I can't tell who it is. Townsend is down to the ice. I believe it's Doucette that Hotman uh, took a swing at. I think Hotman still got a hold of him. A lot of blood in the face of Townsend. A lot of blood on the ice. Rob Flapp, the trainer for the Islanders, out to see how Graham Townsend is doing. Rob is screening me away from Townsend, so I can't see how bad the injury is, but there is a lot of blood on the ice. It took place away from the puck, so I did not see what happened. Townsend immediately went down to the ice. Uh, Rob Flapp continued to press ice and towel to the face of Graham Townsend. And what ended up happening was the, the, the second owner of the Capital District Islanders sued the Detroit Red Wings for, uh, um, what did he, how did he put it? He, like, you know, creating a, 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 creating a, a development on the ice or an environment mm-hmm. on the ice that led to Townsend's injury. Mm-hmm. And Detroit caved. They didn't, they didn't, <laughs> they, you know, it wasn't worth their time and money. Um, you know, to, to try to defend it. And that opened up Albany. That's how that that's how the team moved across the river and became the Albany River Rats. 
which I was there for wow. when that name was made up. They had a they had a, a young man in their public relations department who had played uh, river river hockey up in Massachusetts, and one of the teams that they called themselves they called themselves the River Rats, and you know Albany is the you know confluence of the the, Mon the Mohawk River and the Hudson River, so. He comes up with it in the office. We were all sitting around the office, and he says, you know, we should call the team the, the River Rats. And, of course, everybody thought it was a joke. I mean, <laughs> I thought it was great. I wrote a column about it. I said, this is a really good – this is a really cool name. Um, yeah. The owner uh, at the time thought it was a total joke. Uh, he says, I'm not <laughs> going to do that, you know. And But then they did it because they saw the merchandising possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the uh, that's a classic. I mean, I could picture it just hearing the name. I could picture that the logo with the the winking rat on it. It's crazy. Uh, my thing is, I'm surprised that Lou Lamorello went for it. But I guess, he, you know, as the Devils GM, he didn't really have too much of a say if there was another owner involved. Uh, well, so also guess, his team was called the Devils. Yeah, I guess that's true too. So <laughs> I guess they they kind of work together. But uh, but no, that that's really cool. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's a shame that that incident happened. But at the same time, like it, it's funny that. They just were like, yeah, we're not going to fight this. <laughs> they just ended up just, uh, you know, opening up a spot for another team. That's right. crazy. Um, another another pretty good player for the Capital District Islanders at the time was a guy named Greg Parks, mm -hmm. who uh, he had two really, really outstanding seasons for them. 32 goals, 36 goals another year later. Uh, he ended up playing 23 games with the Islanders and only scoring one time. But he was a, a real fixture on, like, Team Canada for, like, world championships and, like, international stuff. and too so people kind of got to know him even though he was mainly a minor leaguer for the islanders but you, you had some interactions with him too right oh, sure. i mean, you remember him um player, yeah greg was great really good player um you know he, he could skate really well um you know his stick handling was great he had a really nice shot but greg's problem was he was too small you know he was <laughs> he was listed at 510 i'm 510 <laughs> and he wasn't as tall as i am uh you know he was probably more like 58 and that happens to guys. Like, you know, there was a there was a player who played a long time in the American Hockey League, led the league in scoring a bunch of years for, you know, not a bunch of years, but at least a couple of years uh, for Adirondack named Murray Eves, uh, the brother of Mike Eves. And Murray wasn't short. He wasn't small, but he skated hunched over. So he looked small. Um, mm -hmm. But that was, that was, you know, that was the thing with Greg. I mean, he wasn't big enough to play in the National Hockey League. I mean, he had to be 5'8" at least, um, you know, because I definitely looked down at him, you know, when, when we were face-to-face. Yeah. -face. Uh, but really nice guy, you know, um, and really good skater. Usually the difference between the NHL and the AHL, as you know, is skating. You can have right. lots of skills, but skating is the problem. But the size is also the problem. Yeah, especially at that time, too, early 90s, oh, yeah. sort of the Eric Lindros, you know, Legion of Doom era. You really had to be like a big monster to kind of get on the ice unless you unless you were able to score 60 goals a season. Right. Basically. Right. And which he couldn't do in the NHL because he wasn't going to get right. <laughs> he wasn't going to get any skating room. Yeah, he was he was he was a very good player at the NHL level. Went on to play in Europe for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had a long career, and again, a lot of international games. Um, you know, not not much NHL experience to speak of, but in terms of minors and internationally, he had a really, really long career and and did a lot. Um, and actually, um, he unfortunately passed away. I believe it was in 2015, and the circumstances are still unknown. Like nobody really knows. I did some research on it. You you've looked into it, and nobody knows what happened you, you to him. And it's a you little can't bit find anything weird. online. Um, yeah. And I've asked a few people who knew him, um, and they don't know, or, or they know when they don't want to say it, they know, you know? Um, right. Right. but you know, I never, I never pursued it any further. It was more out of a curiosity than anything else. Um, yeah. so, you know, maybe it's, you know, it could have been, could have been anything. could be, you know, could have been a car accident. Nobody, nobody's ever put it out there. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's very young. Um, but uh, but yeah, he, he was quite a player uh, back in the day, even if only not not a ton of people really saw it. Um, a couple of guys, though, who were also sort of big players at the time. One guy got well, you, you were saying he was one of the smartest players. We're talking about we're going to talk about both of them in a second. But um, one guy got a lot of Islanders time. And so he would not necessarily be considered a weird Islander. But Dean Chenouth was kind of a huge part of that Capital District Islanders team. Uh, he ended up playing 147 games for the Islanders, but he played a ton of games for Capital District. 
he ended up coaching for the Islanders too. If you remember, he was a uh, uh, assistant coach under mm-hmm, Jack Capuano mm-hmm. for a while. Um, he's one of those guys that, and again, if you're older like me, you know you might remember the name. He was a first round pick. He was a 13th overall pick, Dean Schnauth, and he was a big, kind of rangy, tall defenseman. And if he had been picked now at 13th overall, I think people would be really pissed off. And I don't say that as a, as a slight to Dean Chanel. I guess he was a nice player, but two picks after him, uh, the Quebec Nordiques took some guy from Burnaby, British Columbia named Joe Sack. Yeah. And I feel like people are still, there's definitely somebody listening to this right now. That's still pissed off about that right now. But, uh, but real quick, but again, he feels like he's such a part of that, that capital district team. We could not talk about him at least for a minute, but uh, what, what do you remember about Dean Chanel? I mean, he, he's one of the, the question is always like, did it, he seem like the kind of guy who was going to go into coaching after his career was over? And from what you've said about him, it sounds like the answer. Oh, is absolutely. Yes. I mean, he was uh, he, he was the most hockey savvy guy in the room um, and had a really good per- uh, personality to boot. You know, I should point out his father was Ed Schnauf, who was president of the Western mm-hmm. Hockey League. And that was at the time when the Islanders were only drafting out of the Western Hockey League. <laughs> right. That was a big thing was they started basically taking just big Western guys for a lot of years in the mm-hmm. draft. So that, that may have that, that, that been why they didn't uh, take Sackick, you know? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, Dean was, Dean was the, was the, this, he was the, one of the smart guys in the room, um, you know, and he was a little bit of a character. Um, uh, I remember the first year I covered them, he and Kevin Chivaldayoff, who, who I know his name is going to come up in a few minutes, yeah. uh, sat next <laughs> to each other in the, in the locker room. And, I was asking him because they they didn't have any defensemen who could put the, couldn't not even put the puck in the net. They couldn't even do anything offensively. They just didn't have the defense <laughs> didn't have the offensive skills. So you know it was like maybe sometime in November, late November. And I said I said to Dean I said you know you know you got six guys here. You got two assists. You know between all <laughs> of you. And he, and 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 Chevy says something to him like you know what are you talking about? And he says he just asked me why we don't score more. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you know, you know, he must have thought I was an idiot. You know, he didn't, didn't know me well enough at the time, you know. But uh, yeah, funny. but no, he was. You, you could you could tell he was going places. I mean, he had a hockey, you know, hockey background. Yeah, you, know, you know, from right. his dad and right. whatever, you know, whatever else, you know, he experienced in his life. And um, yeah, yeah, you know, he you, you knew he was going places. He's been assistant coach in the NHL for how many years now? Oh, for <laughs> I mean, for a long, long time. But it's funny because. Like he played in the NHL for a long, long time too, yes. um, and he just kept getting called up and called up, and and he's he eventually I think he had three years just as a call up, and then he spent like three or four years as a regular, and he's just one of those guys that like he never wowed you with any skill, and again like he he wasn't a bad player by any means, but like you know it's a little I, I feel a little kind of Josh Bailey esque uh, when I say stuff like this, but like you know when you're taking thirteenth overall, people have bigger expectations mm-hmm. of you, and and like. You know, being being an okay defenseman for three or four years isn't really going to cut it. And then he ended up playing for a couple of years. He was a stay at home defenseman. Right I mean, no, he right. didn't have any yeah. offensive skills, so you know, you weren't going to get points out of him. You just couldn't put him on the power play. You could put him on penalty right. kill, but you couldn't put him on the power play. And you know, that's just yeah. the, kind of the way the you know what they decided they wanted at the time, and that's you know, it's kind of what they got. I also found uh, a video of a, a fight Dean Chouth was in. With a rookie named Bob Boogie, uh-huh. who has also gone into coaching, and uh, again didn't go too well for old Dean mm-hmm. <laughs> that fight. Rebounded for the goal. Primo keeps it in again to the far circle, but he has it hacked away and it's cleared to center. Now Bugner gets bumped. He and Crom jam. Now the sticks come up. Penalty called, and they drop the glove. Bugner and Crom and a couple of good left hands. Bugner, or rather, that's Chanel for Capital District. Bugner knocks Chanel down. Oh, Bob Bugner with a big punch. And he knocked Dean Chanelf out of the ice. Holy smoke. The rookie Bugner with the KO of Chanelf. And he gets the high fives from his teammates as he goes to the penalty box. And I'm not sure if Chanelf even knows where he is. The penalty was going to come on Bugner because he got the stick up high on Crom, and as Bob was saying, Chanel came out of nowhere. He's going to get an instigator. He should get an instigate here. I mean, he he wasn't 
like I don't remember him being much of a pugilist, but I mean, do you remember him like doing a lot of fight? I mean, I guess it's the AHL in the nineties. Like everybody kind of fought a lot, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean kind of it, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it was you know, prior to that, but yeah, I mean, there, the 70s, there was still yeah. a lot of fighting, and you, know, you could get some Saturday night games that could get pretty raucous, you know. <laughs> um, Bob Bookner, who would, would have been with the Ad- Adirondack Red Wings, so um, I guarantee you I saw that fight. Because um, uh, no matter which building it was in, I was there. Um, and Bookner was a tough customer, though. You know? and yeah. So I could I could see him. There's another guy who went into coaching in the NHL you know, yeah. and, and has been for years. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, you didn't want to mess with him. <laughs> yeah, even even as a rookie, he didn't seem to have any problem. And Dean Chenowthwood had been a veteran at that point. Yeah, and, yeah, Bugner didn't seem to have any qualms about going after him. Um, but uh, another guy who's gone into hockey management, who you just mentioned a few minutes ago, is Kevin Sheldayoff, who is currently somehow still the general manager of the Winnipeg yes. Jets, <laughs> despite uh, having one good season out of uh, 10 or 12 or however long mm-hmm. it's been. Um, wh- what was he like? You said he was also a pretty smart player. And I guess him hanging out with Chanouth kind of made them a little bit of like sort of a, a duo on the team uh, at, at the time. Uh, Chevy was the, was, was the smartest guy in the room. You know, and I don't mean <laughs> that like, you know, he bragged that he was the smartest guy in the room. I don't mean that as a negative, you know, cause you know, sometimes that's used as a negative, but no, yeah. no he was the smartest guy in the room. Uh, unfortunately for him, you know, he was for another, you know, he was another draft pick, you know, first round pick. Yeah, uh, you know, 16th overall. Yes. Um, <laughs> so right around you know, that. He blew yeah. out his knee between the draft and, and turning pro. Uh, you know, as Bill Torrey would say, that that's the risk of drafting at guys at 18 years old. He hated the 18-year-old draft. But anyway, you know, you could just tell that he was going, you know, he was going to do something in in, the, in this business. So he, you know, he never played, never played in the NHL, never got a single game in the NHL. Um, right. And he was, you know, he was handicapped by the knee injury, obviously. Um, so, you know, he was, he was okay at the AHL level, but he's a guy you could go to and have like a really good, intelligent conversation. You know, he find out what was kind of like the underlying things, you know, and learn things about the game from him, you know, cause he would, he would talk about stuff, but you know, That's yeah, but because of the knee, the, the knee injury was so bad. I mean, he was right. never a prospect. Yeah. Yeah. He never, never played for the NHL. He played 199 games with capital district. Plus, like a bunch with Springfield, who had been the Islanders' uh, minor league team before right. that, uh, and yeah, he only put up you know, three goals and twenty six assists, which is not a lot for one hundred ninety nine games. But uh, but yeah, if he was hampered by an injury, but but you know, it's funny. It's like it's he sounds like the kind of guy who kind of like maybe made the most of his time there, and like he would be what we would consider sort of an AHL veteran now. And and teams look for those types. Yeah, of guys. He was really young when he you know got his first job with the Jets. And yeah, it used to kind of blow me away because you know he had gone to the Chicago <laughs> Wolves, where he was general manager. There he was general manager of the year at least once. Uh, I think he won uh, at least one Turner Cup, if not two, there as general manager. Um, and I would see him at a press conference. You know, when when he first came to the Jets, I'd be like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like you know, because I knew him <laughs> when he was twenty. Right. You know, it, it, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't saying like you got to be kidding me. Like I don't think he should be there. It was you got to be kidding me that like, I've known that you know I've known this guy since he was a kid. Right. You're like I'm how old right. now? <laughs> like that's exactly. you know I mean I've got a daughter that's yeah. you know well past that age, <laughs> right. You know, right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was just crazy. It used to just blow my mind because uh, he was young. Right. He was yeah. I mean he was really young when he started there. I mean you know, he's got to yeah. be he's got to well. be ten years younger than me. So you know. <laughs> um, well, I guess that that's one of the perks of of like covering AHL teams is like you see those guys when they're really really young, and then and as they go on, and then when they get to like that level, you know, a lot of times you you'll cover them, they go to the NHL, but this guy sometimes they go they keep going and they end up being a general manager. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, the, the the thing with me was that you know I covered you know essentially if you want to include the Albany Shoppers, I covered three teams in that region. Um, you know, over the course of the year, ten years I was there, and you get to know everybody. Right. You know, you got right. to know all you know all the coaches, all you know the players, mm. um, the general managers, the scouts, especially the scouts, because the scouts hung out in the press box. You know, right. so you know right. you, you, you just sit down next to them. You know, and, you know, eventually they knew who you were, and you know, just strike <laughs> up a conversation. You'd learn so much. And uh, yeah. but how did you even do that? 
like logistically. Like obviously they they're in the same division. They play a lot. They play each other a lot. So that gets covered. But like if they're playing some other team, like did you have to pick? Did you just like kind of did the schedule kind of work out work itself out that you? I mean, again, one of those teams folded by Valentine's Day. Right. So, but it's still like that had to be like six months of like just nonstop craziness. I mean, did you go to like every practice? For all three teams, no, like you just kind of drive around. <laughs> there <laughs> yeah. enough, there wasn't enough time in the day uh, to, to do right. all of that. Um, no, I had I had a, an excellent backup. I, I don't want to call him backup. <laughs> uh, a fellow named Mike Kane who had covered Adirondack since its inception um, in mm-hmm. 1979 um, and who was uh, was a very good hockey writer, very good friend. He's still a very good friend of mine. In fact, I'm – Going up to Glens Falls next week, to, he's going to be inducted in the Adirondack Red Wings Hall of Fame. Um, oh wow! So he had got me the, the, the you know I switched, changed newspapers. I switched over the newspaper where he was at, and uh, he was my backup. You know, he was a columnist, and you know he moved from hockey writer to columnist, but he was a backup for me. And we also had Ken Shot, who's still with the paper and covers a lot of college hockey, um, who would be the third. So like if all three teams were playing on the same night. You know, all three of us were you know, in different places. Um, wow. uh, very rarely went on the road during during the season. Uh, you know, sometimes we'd hop in the car and go to Syracuse or someplace like that, or Springfield. But um, mm. you know, was there all the time in the playoffs. But uh, but during the season, didn't do a lot of didn't make a lot of road trips. Um, it sounds like the three of you were sort of your own mini athletic, like the athletic <laughs> AHL. I never thought of it like that. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them that next time I speak with them. Yeah, uh, I would have paid for that coverage. Like, just so, you, just so you know, I would have paid for that. Well, coverage. you know, I can still send that you a bill. Been... You know, I can send you all the clips. Wow, let's make it crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that sounds awesome. And and like you know, getting you know enough. And like the Islanders kind of are lucky. They have uh, Michael Fornabio. I don't know if everybody else out there knows by now. He's been covering Bridgeport mm-hmm. forever. He's really great. Like he writes up, but like his his role has been reduced lately because of I guess cuts right. or whatever at CT Post and. And that kind of thing, I remember as a kid, like you could only get that kind of news from the hockey news. Yes. And so I remember like reading, you know, grabbing the hockey news just so I could find out what Todd Bertuzzi was doing in Guelph. Because that was the only way to find out what was happening or in these various plays, the Lowell Lock Monsters and Beast of New Haven and teams like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I mean, to, to do that kind of coverage, I mean, it's, it's – I hate to say it's like a thankless job because people do care and like they do want to know that kind of stuff. But it's – it's a lot of work and it's really for like the super duper diehards, you know, that, that want to know how their team's prospects are doing uh, or, or aren't doing. And, uh, and then, you know, one day you turn around and like the whole team just disappears, you know, so right. it's like a crazy, I did, I, by the way, I did the hockey uh, notes column in the hockey news for a number of years. Right. So. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it was crazy. I mean, I was driving up and down the New York throughway, you know, every day, you know, you know, <laughs> Troy, the, 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 the back up to Clones Falls and the, bup, 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 back and forth. Yeah. It was just, right. I, you know, so much so. I mean, uh, I think for I hardly ever saw the inside of my office. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> At a time before laptops, too. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, we used to have, well, no, yeah, we had the old Radio Shacks back then. Yeah, yeah those oh. were terrible. Uh, I, another guy uh, who I found out about, I had never heard of this guy because, like Kevin Shevardley off, he never played for the Islanders. I, I didn't know about him, but. He um he he was an Islanders draft pick. He was a second round pick, you know, twenty nine overall. Another, but not a Western guy, an Ontario guy. And uh, he was a left winger named Wayne Doucette. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I was doing my research on YouTube, this guy came out more than anybody else. Look, <laughs> came to Capital District Islanders highlights, and they were all fights. There was no there was no goals to be had in here. He didn't score very many of them, but <laughs> right, no, he he had three hundred and sixty four penalty minutes. And 33 goals in 153 mm-hmm. games. So that kind of gives you mm-hmm. the idea of, of what kind of player it was. But, like, what was he like? I mean, it, again, it, there was a lot of fights with him. I mean, again, it was the time. Like, what was his his kind of role on the team? Was he sort of like the designated enforcer? Or no. was he just um, – No, he was know. a checking winger. He was <laughs> a checking winger. So he's like a third-line winger. Um, nice guy. I didn't really get to know him that all that well, even though he was there for quite a long time. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, I just didn't have – I hate to say this, uh, very much reason to talk to him, uh, <laughs> but he was he was a little bit of a, a jokester, uh, like like uh, like like Schnauf. Um and you know when you did talk to him, it's like why don't I talk to this guy more, you know? Uh, and then you know he wouldn't you know he he wouldn't score for two weeks, and you know so mm. you wouldn't you had no reason to talk to him, uh, but he would go out right. there and you know he'd go up and down the line, you know do his job, 
you know, checking job. And then, if, you know, if he needed somebody to put up their fists, he was, you know, he could do it. Three nothing late for the Islanders. Meanwhile, back in the zone, the Adirondacks on Doucette. It's involved with Krupke. He shoved down Doucette and landed a couple of punches. And then the linesmen have stepped in. And Doucette wants another whack at him. But Krupke, Doucette was kind of going down, and Krupke took advantage and landed a couple of shots. And now the linesmen have Doucette pinned down. Krupke trying to go at it. Trying to get Frey with Doucette pinned down to the ice by the linesman. Landed a couple of more punches. Now he's diving back into the pile. The referee also trying to pull off Krupke away from Doucette. No, and love to get a, another chance at him. And uh, Krupke grabbed the back of Doucette as he's trying to get up. Trying to hold on to him. Now the linesmen have finally separated the two. Krupke had his jersey torn off. Now he's headed out of the building. And I... He wasn't a really large guy. Yeah, uh, Hockey DB says he was he was just 6'2", well, 6'2", 203, so it's kind of normal size for a hockey right. player. But I love that he he played for Capital District for three seasons, and he had 11 goals in each season. So oh, he did. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because you don't see that. I mean, one season, 21 games to play, the other 60, and the other 72, and he had 11 goals in hmm. each season. That's very interesting. I don't see that too often. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's funny. If, if anybody wants to fall down at a uh, 90s AHL Islanders rabbit hole search Wayne Doucette he's the guy d-o-u-c-e-t and uh yeah there's a lot of stuff in there you'll find um the last player I want to get to is a guy uh that Islanders fans definitely know and hockey fans know because he is uh on Sportsnet these days and does a lot of uh uh, talking head stuff and uh and also falls within the sort of weird Islanders category which I thought was kind of funny because I remember him being a very prominent member of the Islanders and being here for a long time but over the course of a bunch of seasons he only played 56 games with the Islanders, which is the exact number of games he played in one season with Capital District. <laughs> and it's Jamie McLennan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played 56 games for Capital District, 92-93, while the Islanders, the Big Islanders, were on their march to the uh, Prince of Wales Conference Finals that year. Um, back then, the Islanders had a lot of goalies of the future, and I remember him, him being one. And uh, I also found video of him, the same video with – uh, Graham Townsend's one goal also featured a little cameo appearance by Jamie McLennan, who was on the bench, and and Jigs and Eddie Westfall gave a little bit of a shout-out to him. Backup goaltender tonight, Jamie McLennan. Won the Dell Wilson Trophy as the best goaltender in the Western Hockey League last season. And some of the previous winners, pretty good company. Brad Dure, Mike Vernon, Mark Fitzpatrick, Danny Loren, and a guy by the name of John Davidson. All right, J.D. Well, he's 20 years old, born in Edmonton, Alberta. You know, he's another guy who went into broadcasting right afterwards. Like, did he seem like the kind of guy who would do that? I mean, his nickname was Noodles. He kind of seems like kind of a big goofball <laughs> Uh, I mean, what do you remember? He must have been very, very young at the time. So I don't know, you know, if he even his said favorite, anything, but. His favorite movie was a Chevy Chase movie. And I'm trying to remember which. It was a one-word title. Um, and I can't remember what. Fletch? Fletch. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> in fact, he had Fletch on his uh, on his goalie mask. Uh, <laughs> yes. And um, it was by far his favorite. You know, he always loved to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> he, he was another one of the smart guys, in, you know, in that room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in fact, he, he sat right near. Uh, Chevy and, and Chanel. Um, and, you know, he was, wow. he was really easy to talk to. Um, you know, good goalie. Um, you know, I wish he'd gotten mm-hmm. more games in, in, in the NHL. Um, you know, but completely not surprised yeah. that he ended up in, in, in media. Not at all. Um, <laughs> like to talk. Yeah, no, he he played a long time in the NHL. He played with the Panthers for a long time. He was with the Flames for a while. I just thought that his Islanders career was a lot longer than it actually was. <laughs> it just it wasn't as long as I thought it was, which I kind of was, was surprising. And again, when the, to realize that, holy crap, he played the same amount of games with the Islanders over the course of like four or five seasons that he played in one season with this minor league team. Uh, I was like shocked. Now his record with Capital District was way better than it was when he was with the Islanders. But like right after that 92-93 season, right. things got pretty bad. So. It's not surprising. No, he was he was a workhorse, uh, but uh, but yeah, he was always yeah. And, you know, because they didn't really yeah. have they didn't really yeah, have definitely. a good backup. I mean, they were always kind of changing in backups, bringing guys up from Richmond or the ECHL, or you know, getting some guy on loan from you know who had played you know you know free agent who had played at you know BU or something like that. You know, they you know, they were always looking for a backup because yeah. every time any time either Danny Lorenz got hurt or Danny Lorenz got called up 
to the island, you know, they had no backup because they couldn't get, you know, they couldn't get guys in there fast enough. Right. And then sort of after him, it was the, after the, uh, the team had ended. Well, let's, let's talk about that real quick. And then uh, we'll talk about the, the, how the goalies shook out after that. So yeah, the capital district Islanders only lasted three seasons and they missed the playoffs the first year and then had two first round exits. Um, so, I mean, what do you remember about them? Their kind of disillusion. I mean, it, it, was it as sudden as their arrival? Did it kind of take, a, a long period of time because after that, and it took me all this time to remember what it was after that, they started moving out to, to Denver. Uh, that was, I think the Denver Grizzlies was their next team after that. And that's where like Tommy Sallow and, uh, and um, Ziggy Palfy would play and kind of be the next stars, you know, after that. But like, do you remember what, what kind of caused them to just kind of pull up stakes after three years? I mean, was it like a, maybe a, a financial thing as it um, is, or was it something I'm else? Trying to think. I'm trying to remember the only, the second, the second owner of the Capitalist <laughs> District Islanders was Al Lawrence, who was an insurance magnate there uh, in that region. And um, when Utica made the deal with Albany, and the Devils made the deal with Albany, there was really was no place for them to go. And they, they, and they couldn't, they weren't going to stay in Troy. They just didn't draw enough. Um, you know, had they been really successful yeah. and maybe like at least gone to a cold cup final, no, maybe, maybe that would have been different, but mm. eh, I'm not so sure. Um, because uh, it was on the lesser populated side of the river, uh, you know, because on the west you had Albany, you had Schenectady, um, and you know, and all the suburbs, you know, leading up towards Saratoga. Um, where it's this Troy on the other side of the river, you know, really had nothing around it. I'm not sure how that all shook out, to tell you the truth. I don't remember. Uh, they went to, <laughs> yeah, they went to Denver and they were only there for a year mm-hmm. and I had to, had to get out because, right. um, the uh, Nordiques were moving there, and that's how that's how the Capital District mm, Island right. radio guy Mike Haynes, who's a very good friend of mine, ended up with the Colorado Avalanche because he was already there, oh, he was wow. already in place, and and he was there for twenty five years. He ended up doing television and whatnot. Yeah, they were in Denver the one year they won the Calder Cup. Then they moved to Salt Lake so City and won the Turner Calder Cup. Cup there too, right? Or am I yes? Yeah, that was, with, that was right. Butch, yeah, sorry. which yeah. went with them. Um, right. Yeah, you know, I kind of lost. You know, I lost a little bit of touch. Yeah, you know, I you know, talked to Butch once in a while. Certainly, would talk to Mike and you know find out what's mm-hmm. going on out there. But um, you know, a lot of those. You know, but like, like you said, that the talent started to come through. You know, from the draft, which you know, yeah. which the team in Troy didn't get that opportunity because their drafts were actually pretty <laughs> lousy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. They they went through that very fallow, very strange sort of Western hockey focused period, and and it really hurt them in in the long run. But you mentioned Butch, and and I did have to close. We have to close with Butch because we would be mm-hmm. we would be remiss if we did not mention that the coach of the Capital District Islanders for all three of its seasons was the one and only Butch Corey. Now, obviously, Butch is not a weird Islander. He played way too damn many games, but he is in fact a huge character, as we all know. And you alluded to. A really funny story about <laughs> you, you and Butch in a car uh, making a trip, uh, and it just kind of goes to show you just kind of the the big goofball that he is. So, what's his? What, what do you first of all? What do you remember about Butch as a coach and and dealing with him as a reporter? And then what what happened that Butch, you guys Butch ended was up very, in this was very shy with uh, the reporters at first. I, I think it's because he didn't. Well, he later admitted to us that he didn't trust us. Um, like I remember talking to him on the phone for the very first time, and <laughs> I asked him for his phone number. Because uh, I'd gotten, you know, I don't know how <laughs> I got through to him without my without his phone number, but uh, anyway, and um, he didn't want to give it to me. So, uh, um, <laughs> but as we got to know each other, you know, I got his phone number, um, and mm. you know, Butch, you know, Butch does to the English language what Butch does to the English language, you know, <laughs> to this day. As we all so, know for um, sure, yeah, definitely. It's funny because. You know, I you know a lot a lot of people say to me, God, I can't stand him. He's like you know, the, you know, he's just you know, mangling. I'm like, no, that's the beauty of Butch, is that you know he'll mangle the language, but you know exactly <laughs> what he's talking about. You know, so, uh, so anyway, um, my my favorite my favorite was when he when he called his team. He said, "Yeah, we're a real heckle and jekyll team," which he did again <laughs> when he was coach of the New York Islanders. Because I read that, I do. I remember in, that. Yeah, in, in Han's book, Fish Sticks, because he quoted him, and I, mm-hmm. I just started laughing because he had done it in Troy, you know. So, 
Of course, that was my lead. But um, uh, yeah, we were in Quebec uh, for the draft. Um, 92, 93. I don't remember which year. Um, must have been 92. Um, and Air Canada went on strike. So you got all these Canadians mm. who want to go home and go to their cottages, you know, for the rest of the summer, <laughs> and they can't get they can't get flights home, right? Butch is only looking for a flight to Albany, and he can't even get that. So uh, <laughs> the night before, he sat he sidles up to me and he says, uh, "You drove here, right?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Can I get a ride with you tomorrow?" Okay. So um, <laughs> so I picked him up at the hotel or whatever, and. Uh, um, I didn't have too many. I used to keep a, a little box of CDs, maybe held maybe ten or twelve of them, and but one of them was a Grateful Dead CD. And Butch is a huge Grateful Dead fan. Wow! So in oh yeah, no, I would not have guessed. Oh that. yeah, <laughs> um, and he was what the, the six hour six hour drive, five hour drives, to, you know, and I think we played the CD. I think at least twice. <laughs> So six hours of the Grateful Dead, that's like, what, four songs, I think, of theirs? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we played some of the other stuff. I'm saying, look, yeah. here, look at, look at what I've got. I don't right. have much here. You know, but I'm more of like, you know, you know, my favorite band of all time is ELO. Ah. You know, so, you know, early ELO. Right. So that, that's, not his, that's not his cup of tea. Ah. So, you know, he picked out some other things. But in between, you know, he went to, he went to the Grateful Dead one a couple of times. That's it was greatest. It was greatest hits of the Grateful Dead. So, yeah. um, so then we get we get. I go to drop him off at his house. Oh, by the way, he changes the subject at some point. We're mm. we're, you know, we're talking. You know, I mean, you have to talk. It's six hour drive. Mm. Um, and he wants me. He wants to rent me his house for the summer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I'm like, Butch, I'm not so sure about this. You know, I mean, he says, you know, well, what's your rent? And I told him. He says, he says, well, I was looking for a little bit more than that. And I said. What am I going to do? I'm going to I'm going to move out of my apartment for for two or three months, and then I have to move back into my apartment. I, you know, right? And he kept lowering his price, <laughs> and finally he said, "Whatever my price was, I forget what I was, I was paying back then. I'm sure it was a low amount because it was you know upstate New York and hmm. you know the early '90s." Um, he came all the way down to my price. He says, "You just take it at what whatever you're paying now. You take it for the summer, and it's yours." So I drove, go to drop him off at the house. Nice house, mm-hmm. big house, three bedrooms because his kids were still there. A pool, even though I don't swim, neither did my <laughs> wife. Um, huge, you know, really nice house. And finally, I had to say, "Look, I said, you know, my wife is pregnant. I can't, I can't do this. Hmm. You know, if I go home and say, you know, we're going to rent out Butch Goring's four-bedroom house, you know, <laughs> with a pool, pool, but then we have to move back here in three months." She's yeah. gonna, you know, so, <laughs> so uh, I couldn't do it, couldn't do it. But Butch, uh, Butch was a really good guy. You know, he is a really good guy. Um, yeah, uh, I still talk to him from when I see him. Um, and uh, he, um, we were sitting up. We got over. He got over his distrust of reporters. He told us one night we were there was there were only like a couple. There was really like only like one bar in Troy that you could go to after a game, you know, for for wings and a couple of beers. And so, you know, a lot of the players would go there and Butch would go there and one of the other reporters and I would go there. And they didn't seem to mind having me around. <laughs> um, the Adir- Adirondack Red Wings sometimes didn't like me hmm. to be uh, sitting in work, you know, whatever bar they were hanging out in. Um, but uh, he had said to us, he says, you know, you guys, it was Dave Rosenbaum who worked for the Troy Record uh, and later wrote uh, Miami Ice about the uh, uh, Florida Panthers run to the, their first run to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, he says, you know, you guys taught me a lot. You know, he says, you know, I never trusted reporters, but you know, you guys are you guys are fair and you're honest, and you know, if I tell you something off the record, you don't print it, but you know, but you use it for info. You can use it for other information. You know, just to learn about more about what's going on with the team and whatnot. And you know, you, he says you guys use it the right way. And uh, so you know, after all those years, hmm. I mean, you've been you know, in professional hockey for what twenty years by then, sure. more. Um, now maybe the Boston writers got to him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, I can't imagine anybody in LA or even with the Islanders because I mean, my gosh, he came, showed up and they started winning Stanley Cubs. I can't imagine he got too much flack for that, but his, 
his last couple of years with the Bruins, like he got, you know, he got put on waivers. He got picked up by the Bruins. And then within like a year, he was like their head coach and it was, <laughs> it was kind of messed up. So yeah, I think <laughs> it, it probably was something like that, but uh, it's just funny that like uh, he, he, you know, I, I have a feeling that he maybe forgot that, not everybody goes away for the off season. Like you guys are there, you know, if you're a reporter in, in Troy or any other city, you're there, you live there. That's your home. And like, you're not just going to pick up stakes. Like you said, and move for three months to somebody else's house. And then just, no, no, there's no way that wasn't going to happen. I don't even know how, I don't know how he ever settled it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe he gave it to some other coach or something like that. It's it's turned out, you know, he's got a very successful set of kids. One's a doctor. Right. Um, But, um, yeah, no, I love Butch. I love I love Butch to death. Yeah, That's great. He's always, yeah. Whenever I, I don't run into him now, right? Because the press right. box is all the way up in in heaven. You know, <laughs> That's you know funny. so you know, I used to go be able to I used to be able to see him in Brooklyn just by walking over a few sections over. Yeah, you know, because they were they were in the stands. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, now, no. Now I never now I never see him. Big horse racing fan. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, we know that. I'm sure he's yes. loving this this Belmont Park uh, era of Islanders hockey. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I would, by the way, and just uh, uh, also as an aside, I would definitely take the ELO over the Grateful Dead any day. <laughs> not, not not a fan of the Grateful Dead at all. Uh, yeah, it wasn't that much either. You know, a few songs, <laughs> but I did have the CD. So yeah, know. everybody had that CD. I think yeah, I had exactly. it too. Right. Um, but uh, no, that that's great stuff, and and that that whole just just the idea of like being trapped in a car with which was going for six hours listening to Grateful Dead is just funny to me. Um, <laughs> this has been a lot a lot of fun, and I was really looking forward to this, and, and it, it did not disappoint. This was so much fun, and I, I loved hearing about all this stuff. And, I mean, you could probably go on for hours and hours and hours about other players and stuff like that from that era because it is just a, it's a weird era. And, again, when you say Capital District Islanders to Islanders fans of certain ages, like they probably think of a certain guy. Maybe it's Jamie McLennan. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a, a Dean Chenault, somebody like that. Maybe it's somebody else. Um, and it's just a and – it, and it's an interesting era. And it made me think of like – so you're, you're also a big baseball person. And I find, you know, there's not a ton of like kind of connections between baseball and hockey. But one thing I do find that they have in common is like the, the idea of the, the minor league – sort of feeder system, farm system, whatever. And that the next guy up is going to be the next superstar. Like the next guy is always going to, you know, there's somebody pitching for Columbus for the Yankees system. That's going to come up and be an all-star and be the next, you know, Andy Pettit or Mariano Rivera or whoever. And the Islanders had that too. Like back then you used to look at, you know, you'd be like, Oh my God, this guy, Ziggy Palfi, he's got to come up. They got to bring him up. This guy, Tommy Salo, wait, wait till he gets here. He's going to be a superstar. I promise. You know, he's, he's in Dave. Denver right now, but he's going to be great. Dave um, Dave Chazelle. Oh yeah. Dave Chazelle. Another one. Yeah. Um, and so like as a person that covered teams like that, like, like what is that kind of relationship for, I guess the AHL half, like, do they, do they feel that kind of pressure or is that just not kind of on their radar? And it's just something that fans kind of make up in their head. You mean pressure of making the NHL? Yeah, but not just that, but just like coming up and being like, you know, oh, this guy is going to be the guy, and then we're going to be good to go. Like that's oh. what I'm feeling. Well, I mean, that hardly happens. That, that, that right. doesn't happen very often. I mean, you know, you know, in hockey, you're either up or you're, you know, or you're going to have to work your way up. Right. Um. You know, I mean, the only exception I would say to that is goaltenders. Yeah. Goaltenders always need a year in the minors. Yeah. You know, no matter how, no matter how good they are, even Patrick Wasson spent a year in the minors. Right. Um. You know. Um. But if you're if you're a scorer, defenseman also, defensemen right. have to work themselves up. Uh, but if you're a scorer and you can, you know, and you can skate, you're going straight to the NHL. <laughs> you know, there's no question about it. You know, um, it, you know, back then at least it was. I don't know how much pressure they. It, it really depended. There were there were guys. I mean, I you know I played you know I played I, I covered the American Hockey League in days when you had career minor leaguers. Mm. You know the Glenn Murkowski's of the world, the Murray Eves, the the the, the, the you know. You know the Jody Robertsons, the Jody Gages. Um, mm-hmm. You know he played in Rochester. For, you know I think he's still the AHL leading scorer. Then they changed the rules. <laughs> yeah, you know, well you can only dress up. You know six guys with two hundred or more games professionally. Professionally, mm-hmm. not even you know NHL games. I mean guys came down from the NHL at the end of their careers and they, they'd score thirty goals. Right. Um, yeah, but you know because they you know they're the team wanted to win a Calder Cup or they wanted. You know, they wanted the youngsters to learn, you know, winning. Um, you know, so they would do that. Uh, they don't do that anymore. Um, so I don't know what it's like now. Back then it was, 
back then it was it was you know it, it you know if Adirondack was playing Rochester, it was Adirondack against Rochester. It mm. wasn't Red Wings farm hands against you know, Sabres <laughs> farm hands. It was you know it was the, those guys. It was Barry Melrose and one, one on one bench, and it was John Van Boxmere on another bench. And these guys would hype the game all week by bad mouthing each other. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so it had a little, still had a little element of slap shot to it. I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but <laughs> um, but then you know what would happen on that Saturday night when the teams got together, the place would be jammed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's it's interesting. Yeah. No, it's just not a side that we really see anymore. And again, I feel like you know, there's. Islanders fans look at the Bridgeport Islanders and obviously the Bridgeport Sound Tigers before that is just sort of like, we need to get some guy up here. We need to get somebody to, to fix our team, but you know, they're, they're a team on their own. Like they they have their own, uh, you know, sort of story to tell. And, and it's, it's folks like you that tell those stories. And I, I don't want that to, to get lost. I mean, I just, it, I remember that era and I remember like wanting to kind of, absorb as much as I could of that time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just really interesting. And so, uh, this is, this conversation has been great. I, I, I loved it. It's so much fun to talk about these guys. Uh, is there, is there anything else you want to throw in there? Any little tidbits or, or anything like that? Getting anything? I think I'm good actually. Uh, I mean, got my Seinfeld joke in there, which was good. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> always, always definitely appreciate it. Yeah. We need, uh, we need a few more. Yeah, Dan, it was really good talking to you. This has been great, Bob. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, We had a lot of fun here. Uh, Mike and I will be back with another Island News Anxiety in a couple of days. Read Lighthouse Hockey every single day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. And until our next episode, keep the Islanders weird. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.